Hi, everyone, and welcome to the DCRO Risk Governance Podcast, where we're focusing on risk governance issues, learning about the work of and receiving guidance from experienced board directors, senior executives, and thought leaders on issues that are important to those governing organizations. My guest today is James Lamb. James and I have known each other for nearly three decades. He currently serves as chair of the Risk Oversight Committee for E-Trade and is chair of the Audit Committee for RiskLens, a cyber risk solution provider. He has extensive experience as a chief risk officer, management consultant, and a private and public company board member. He is widely recognized as an early advocate of enterprise risk management and is noted as the first ever chief risk officer. James is the author of two books on enterprise risk management, both top sellers on Amazon, and has been a member of three of the four risk governance councils that developed the DCRO guiding principles for risk governance. Quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, The Economist, and other leading publications, James is a frequent keynote speaker for board level and executive level conferences. James earned his BBA in finance and computers from Baruch College, where he graduated summa cum laude, as an MBA from UCLA, and his CRT certification in cybersecurity oversight from Carnegie Mellon. Welcome, James. Thank you, David. Um, nice to spend some time with you today. Uh, before we get started, I want to let our listeners know that James serves on two boards, as I mentioned, and is an advisor to other boards. The comments he'll make should be considered his own and not attributed to any of the companies that he's working with. So James, as I mentioned, you and I have known each other for a long time. We first met in the early 1990s at a conference where you were talking about something we called firm-wide risk management, which has really evolved and become very important as enterprise risk management. Can you talk to us a bit about the progression of your career from that time to today? Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it's been a, it's been quite a quite a while, and, and you know, I guess we're both ticking. That's uh, that's good news. But I I, um, I see a lot of parallels actually between my career and, and your career, David. Um, you now we both started in, in asset liability management and hedging with uh, derivatives. And in terms of my progression, um, then I got into market risk and then credit risk and, and operational risk. Uh, and during that process, the inspiration that I got uh, in terms of enterprise risk management is the usage of economic capital. So how, how do you allocate capital to risk in, in a consistent way so you could measure risk-adjusted return. And from that work, um, I started thinking about, well, it doesn't really make sense to manage risk in silos. And how do companies think about um, managing risk on a much more integrated basis uh, to be able to have a consistent approach and to also address some of the interdependencies? And during that time, I've uh, played the three roles or wore the three hats that you mentioned um, as a practitioner, uh, starting as um, an asset liability manager, then a, a chief risk officer working within um, an institution, dealing with the culture, the data constraints, modeling, uh, et cetera. The second uh, hat is a consultant uh, working with different industries, different companies, uh, understand their um, kind of unique challenges. And then third hat as a, as a corporate director, uh, providing risk governance and oversight 
uh, without um, getting your fingers in and, and micromanaging uh, the process. So each role, you know, brings a different perspective, and uh, it's been uh, it's been a good ride. Well, it, in, as you describe that, it sounds to me almost like the progression of risk management. You talked about economic capital just a bit ago, um, and that concept I don't think really even existed back when uh, we first met. But but your discussion about firm-wide risk management and ultimately enterprise risk management was really creating a framework. Um, and that framework seems to have been something that's become more standard. So you have that book, and I remember very clearly at the end of it, um, you were brave enough to make 10 predictions. And those 10 predictions were about the future of enterprise risk management. How did those turn out? Well, I think I'll, I'll let you and, and the listeners, uh, you know, make that make that judgment. But uh, of the 10 um, predictions, I, I would say that there are three that I, I am the most proud of. Uh, one, one is that ERM will become the industry standard uh, for risk management. Uh, and my book came out in 2003, and, and a recent survey uh, showed that the majority of large companies, public companies with revenue uh, over a billion dollars uh, have an, an EOM program. Uh, another prediction was that uh, chief risk officers will become prevalent in risk-intensive businesses. And we've definitely seen that at banks and financial institutions, but we're also seeing that in energy firms and other non-financial non corporations. And then finally, uh, the, the third prediction uh, that I just want to highlight is, the, is that risk education will be a part of corporate training and college-level programs. And um, we see that quite a bit uh, in some of the universities and executive training programs. And I think the level of training and education around uh, enterprise risk management has uh, has never been better. Well, and I think you're being humble. Um, you know, the the review that I've done of those, and and I think that others have done, at least eight or nine of the ten are firmly in place. Uh, and I think anyone who has the courage to put those down in print in a book deserves credit when they turn out. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why I've advocated for people to look at that book as well as the follow-up to it, which was about implementing enterprise risk management, because there are things in here. You, you had talked a few minutes ago about focusing on market credit and operational risk, and, and we used to define those in these silos, as you referred to. Um, that's changed so much um, that we have now seen this, this bringing of enterprise risk management into the life of a business, into, into how organizations function. So a lot of credit to you for that. Um, and uh, people will know as they read my work and, and hear me talk that I often suggest they read these books of yours. So I, I thank you to be congratulated, and you don't need to be humble when you've done a good job. Um, uh, thanks, now, Dave. in your work, um, you know, you're doing board-level work, but you're also doing advisory work. Sometimes I have uh, executives say, I'm interested in starting an ERM program. And one of the things that immediately comes into my head is, do you fully understand what that desire means in terms of changing the corporate culture and the amount of work that's put in? When you've worked with organizations like this or, or even ones that already have a risk function, 
what are some of the common pitfalls or opportunities that you've seen um, in these when, when you start that advisory process? Yeah, so um, o over the decades, um, I've had a, my own consulting practice for 18 years, and prior to that, um, you know, I worked for large uh, consulting firms. Um, I, I probably worked on close to 75 different uh, enterprise risk management programs. And the one thing that uh, is very surprising to me, uh, and, and, and I would also say disappointing to me, is that a lot of companies, I would say over 80% of companies, spend a lot of time on uh, opinion-based risk assessments and they'll turn those risk assessment uh, output into heat maps and, and use that as the basis of executive and board reporting. And, and I find that a real um, misuse of resources and, and time because of the underlying um, uh, flaws in, in, in the methodology. So I'll give you an example. So, so the process typically includes a group of people within the company from different um, departments, and they'll go through a, a process of identifying dozens of risks, and they'll say, for each one of these risks, let's rate it from one to five in terms of probability, and then one to five in terms of severity. And then we'll multiply the two ratings to come up with a risk score. Well, it sounds reasonable. Um, and it sounds logical, but, but when you think about the underlying characteristic of a risk, it's really a distribution of probabilities and severities. And, and it's basically a distribution curve or a bell curve that may have uh, different shapes and, and sizes. And when you do that, in terms of simplifying it into opinion-based one point that's qualitative in a heat map, you oversimplify uh, the risk, and the information itself is not um, actionable. So I'll give you a, a very you know, simple example. The probability and severity of a company being attacked from, from cyber criminals, well, it's happening hundreds, thousands of times a day, so the probability is high, but your firewall is able to block it, so the severity is low, so five times one is five. Now, what's the probability and severity of a major data breach? Well, hopefully the probability is low, but the severity is high. So a one times five is a five. <laughs> so when you think about the underlying methodology, it really gives you erroneous answers. And I'm not cherry picking the example. You could go through many different risk examples and come up with that problem. And so when I see companies spend a lot of time on risk assessments and heat maps and use that as an end product, I think that's a, a real waste of resources and time. It's not that I don't think risk assessments are important, but it's the way it's done, the methodology is done, and it should be um, combined with good risk quantification and metrics. But even with risk quantification metrics, I, I like to hear someone's opinion about what they see in terms of those uh, metrics. So I want to see data. I want to see analytics. But I want to have someone's opinion. But I don't want the opinion without the facts. I don't want the opinion without the analysis. So I think that is the, uh, I would say, the major 
uh, pitfall. Well, and, and it's an attempt, it sounds like, to turn something that's not quantifiable into a number that makes us feel like we've got a better handle on something. But as you pointed out, the, the ratios or, or their measures relative to each other don't necessarily translate well. Um, and I know others have tried to turn this into red, yellow, green um, right. maps, as, as you've discussed, and, and sometimes those suffer from the, the same issues. John Lukomnik, who had been on an early podcast, said, uh, how do you know green is green? Um, because there's there's not necessarily data backing that up. It's just it's just a sense of opinion. If you don't have people looking at it, this gives yeah. me um, more I think more interest in how organizations interpret this reporting. So let's take a look at two places. Um, one would be someone within the organization, uh, the chief risk officer, for example, like you were, and, and like we've seen uh, show up at more and more organizations. And then the other one would be somebody on the board who has some experience within risk, um, whether it's risk taking, but some, some knowledge beyond uh, the just general sense of what risk is, more in the, in the field of risk management. How important are those two factors to helping the rest of the board understand these potential shortcomings? Yeah, so this message resonates very well when I talk to directors and senior executives. Deep down, they recognize the, the pitfalls um, of, of this kind of uh, reporting. Um, you know, the heat maps, um, the, the risk assessments. I mean, recently I, I worked with a CEO who basically said to me and the board that, that this kind of information made him, felt, made him feel vulnerable, that he really doesn't understand the true risk of the organization. And I've heard that many times from different board members and executives. But, you know, the, the other side of it is maybe it's better than nothing, right? If they, they, they didn't get risk metrics and reporting in the past, at least they, they are getting something. Um, but I think risk professionals need to move beyond this, you know, in terms of assessing risk um, and, and, and um, identifying risk. They really need to quantify risk um, and, and be able to put it into a decision-making framework. So when it comes to management and the board, they play different roles. Uh, you know, the board is there to provide governance, provide um, you know, policy and, and oversight. Um, management is there to execute on the risk management program to make business decisions, pricing decisions, to accept or, 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 or uh, mitigate risk on a day-to-day -day basis. So because they play different roles, it is important that we customize our work and um, metrics and reporting to those audiences. So board reporting should not be uh, an executive summary of management reporting because they, they fundamentally play different roles. Well, and I think that's a really interesting um, way of considering how to communicate. And I've talked about this with some others, and that's keeping your audience in mind. Uh, and when we consider CROs and the skills that they bring or, or key success factors um, for them, how important is it that a CRO understands business, meaning the idea of taking risk to achieve business goals? That is an absolutely critical skill for a chief risk officer or any 
risk professional uh, at, at any stage of their careers. It's not to understand risk from a risk perspective, but, but to really understand it from a, from a business perspective. Because every, every business needs to take risk to be in business. And there are different parts of the companies that are responsible for different parts of the business. They, they have to make uh, you know, pricing decisions, customer decisions, operational decisions. So I think it is very critical, as you said, David, that the chief risk officer really thinks about the needs of the audience um, in terms of the line management, senior management, and the board. What decisions uh, and actions do they need to take given their different roles? And how do I customize my information and my analytics to support those decision-making? Because you know, if we do enterprise risk assessment or even enterprise risk quantification, that's really not adding value. I mean, it, it really adds value when we do enterprise risk management. And the only way we could do that is to impact uh, business decisions. Well, and now your work, uh, my impression of it is anyway, that it's shifted more of the past 10 years to be focused on board level initiatives. And I know those then carry out through the organization, but in talking to board members, um, how has receptivity to this concept of risk governance changed over this last decade? Is it something that you walk into a boardroom and people immediately know what you're talking about? Or you know, for, for those of us who've been around for a few decades, we're kind of used to getting pushback. Is, yeah. Is the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know, David. I know. I you, you bring back some old memories, but I, I would say that uh, it, it has been a sea change in terms of the level of attention uh, that corporate directors are paying to uh, risk management. So, 20 years ago, it would be you know the end of a a board agenda, a 30 minute presentation that might be squeezed into you know 10 minutes at the end. And directors literally um, might not seem uh, interested into maybe if, if they, until they talk about you know, director in, you know, liability and insurance and, um, and topics that are much more relevant, um, immediate, immediate relevance to them. But I, I would say today, um, you know, risk oversight has really um, risen to the top of the board agenda and attention. Boards are spending uh, more time because it, it is one of the few areas where directors could have a real impact uh, on, on an organization in, in terms of challenging management in a, in a constructive way, in terms of setting uh, risk appetite, in terms of monitoring the risk culture, or uh, asking the right questions and demanding the right information, all those things have a uh, huge influence uh, on how a company uh, operates. And so I think it, it has risen to the top of board agendas. Uh, they are focusing on board oversight of ERM and strategic risk. They're, they're focusing on cybersecurity. Uh, they're focusing on disruptive risk, like the pandemic that we are experiencing right now, and I think that's going to, um, you know, have, uh, you know, implications for many years to come. Well, and I, I think I want to um, echo the bit about disruption. Uh, we have a survey that the DCR runs called the Crisis Sentiment Index, 
and the May report is just coming out. It'll be released in the public on Friday. But one of the statistics that came out of that was almost 50% of the respondents indicated the companies or the boards of their companies are reconsidering their entire business model. 50%, mm -hmm. half the companies. And if that doesn't open up a whole host of risks, strategic risks um, and other, uh, you know, I don't know what, what else defines that disruption. They also are focused on opportunities, which I think is another thing that, that you've um, alluded to in, in other places um, where risk can be helpful in, in capturing some of those opportunities. So this is going to be a pretty dynamic time. Organizations that maybe are in this crisis might be considering a risk committee if they don't have one already. One of your predictions was that uh, audit committees would evolve into risk committees, and I think in a separate form. Um, I know you're on both kinds of committees, risk committee and an audit committee. If a board is considering this, where should they start? Should the organization already have a risk infrastructure in place, or is the risk, the creation of a risk committee the place that we start and then we have the organization build out the uh, risk management infrastructure? It depends on where the company is, uh, the board composition in terms of the directors and, and also the maturity of its ERM program. I mean, ultimately, you know, we have to ask, you know, what is the agenda for the risk committee? What are the reporting? What are the policies? What, are, what is the charter uh, for that uh, organization? But one, one, one of the kind of ongoing debate is, you know, should we have a separate risk committee or should, um, should risk management be part of the audit committee or the, the full board's uh, agenda? And I've seen it, seen it work um, in different ways at different companies. But with one large energy firm, um, uh, one of the directors expressed a, a perspective that I, I agree with, and, and I'd like to share that with you and, and your listeners. And she had experience with both, both audit committees and, and, and risk committees, and she, she said to me, James, you know, the, the audit committee and the risk committee, they, they wear very different hats and they have very different scopes. So the audit committee is paid to think inside the box. It's literally, you really have to think about checking the box, make sure that we're in compliance with you know, SEC requirements, FASB requirements, Sarbanes-Oxley, public disclosure, etc. right? You don't want to be creative <laughs> in your audit work, or you don't want to be creative in your, in your financial accounting. Whereas the risk committee is paid to think outside the box. We, we're paid to think about the unexpected. We want to look around corners and see, see what's coming down um, the pipeline in terms of, of risk. And so that the mandate, the scope, and the skills are fundamentally different. And I thought that was very well put and, um, and something that uh, large companies uh, should consider. Well, it's almost the difference between validating and anticipating. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you think about internal audit or the audit committee. To me, it, it's, it's, it's like validating. It's like going to the doctors once a year to make sure you're in good shape and, and you're in good health. But on an ongoing basis, you want the, the input from a personal trainer, you want to input from um, a nutritionist, so that you do maintain good fitness and health on an ongoing basis. 
You're not going to strive to have good fitness and health by saying, oh, I'm going to go to the doctor once a year, <laughs> and I'm, I'll be happy with that, right? And you, you really need both. And, and, and I, I do believe there is some um, value in the three lines of defense in, in thinking about, you know, second line versus third line. Well, and I think your, your three lines of defense is slightly different from others, right? You're, you include the board in, in that, don't you? I do. That's one variation in, in how I think about it because at most companies, the internal audit function um, is, a, is really supporting the board in providing oversight um, in terms of the second line, the risk and compliance function, and also the first line in terms of the line and functional units. I, I do not think the board um, is the fourth line defense. From a regulatory perspective, from a shareholder perspective, the, uh, to me, in, in, in action, the board does function as a third line defense with support from internal audit. Well, if you want to foster that outside the box thinking or anticipatory thinking that a risk committee might have, how would you populate that committee uh, differently than, say, an audit committee? Well, from an audit committee perspective, you really need the financial um, expertise, uh, technical expertise that would fulfill its charter. From a risk committee, I would say you, you, you need good um, um, risk experts, governance experts, maybe IT, cybersecurity, and, and really good business people, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, put, you know, with a, maybe even a CEO background to, to be able to put the risk management perspective in, in, in terms of strategic risk and, and, and business uh, management. So I think that the skill sets are different, the, um, the agendas are, are different, uh, but ultimately I think there are three things that um, the risk committee need to do, and I use the acronym GPA to, um, to set that up. So one is governance. You know, what is the, um, what, what is the calendar and topics and issues that we're going to provide governance over so that we're spending time uh, appropriately? What, what is the relationship between the risk committee and the risk um, functions, the chief risk officer, the compliance function? Um, so P, P is for policy. How do we set policy to communicate our expectations, um, to set up a, a risk appetite statement or and a risk escalation um, policy to make sure that um, there's good transparency in the company. And then A is a assurance. Uh, you know, a, a, um, how do we provide assurance that the risk management program is effective? You know, what kind of reporting, what kind of feedback loop are we going to uh, rely on? So, so you know, governance, policy, and assurance are the three things that, um, that are really, really critical. Well, and a number of people who are listening to this are going to be people who come through risk functions or chief risk officers, and they're interested in board positions. I mean, it's a, it's a place that people see their, their chance to play in the strategy, uh, help organizations think and take risk better. Are there any specific resources that you would direct aspiring board members to uh, in order to enhance their chances of being successful board members? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I, I would uh, first like to say that board work is extraordinarily um, 
valuable work, and it is an opportunity for risk professionals to continue to learn and also to continue to contribute uh, in terms of value. And um, I, I found it very rewarding myself. And resources uh, would include the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors. I've been quite active in that community, and every time I go into, uh, to an event, I leave more inspired, I learn something, and I make uh, some really good uh, contacts and, and relationships. David, I think your resource, the DCRO, is wonderful. I think it's uh, ahead of its time in terms of building an online community of risk professionals and, and directors, and I think uh, that's another great resource for uh, risk professionals. And beyond those two, I would just say that um, we should all kind of reflect on our own skill set and say, how, how do we fill out other skills? So if you're strong in financial skills, how do we acquire better operational skills or cybersecurity skills? Uh, if you work on financial and operational risk, how do you think about risk management from a strategic perspective you know, in, in tying ERM to strategy? Because ultimately, a board's going to look for directors. Uh, that's going to provide the skill sets, the, the unique perspectives that's going to help them in, in, in terms of governance and, and oversight. Well, and James, this is really a great discussion. I appreciate everything you've done for the industry. We've, we've actually come up to the end of our 30 minutes, which happens so quickly whenever the conversation is, is an interesting one like this. I want to thank you for everything you do for the DCRO. Thank you for mentioning the DCRO. I think most of the people who are listening to this will hopefully be a part of that. Um, but I do mean that. As, as I mentioned in the book that I had just written, uh, meeting you in the early 90s um, was one of the best things in my career because it gave me a chance to learn from you. And I think that other people who are uh, aspiring board members or boards who are looking to take their organizations through a really difficult time or, or even in normal times are going to benefit from understanding more about ERM and this different perspective that the board brings, um, but the essential nature of having this infrastructure in the organization. So thanks for everything you've done to help that happen. And thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. Thank you, David, for everything you do. I really enjoyed uh, spending time with you and, and, and your listeners.